Welcome to Back to the Future, a limited podcast series where we speak to startups revving to go in a post-pandemic world. And today we have Chitong Leong. He's the founder of Engage Rocket. It's a startup that automates employee feedback and analytics to help companies across the region improve their employee experience and performance. Engage Rocket now serves more than 20 industries across 14 countries. Uh, it analyzes as many as 4 million responses in several Asian languages. Uh, its customers include firms such as Sephora, Novartis, Tokopedia, and Love Bonito. Now, Chitong, uh, you have served in the Singapore Navy as an officer for many years before rising through the ranks at Gallup, the polling organization, and then you started Engage Rocket in 2016. Maybe you can walk us through these career moves and ultimately uh, your motivation in founding an organization. Well, thanks for having me on this uh, show, William. Um, when I was at the Navy, one of the things that uh, I was quickly thrust into when I came back from university, I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. Within six months, I was given a department on a ship to manage already. And, and I realized how ill-equipped I was uh, to serve these men who were under me. Um, some of them had more than 10 years of experience. Uh, some were brand new. And I was very poorly equipped with the tools to manage them. Uh, even though uh, the military does place a lot of emphasis on leadership development and training, there was not much to uh, guide the way that I managed them, except for some mentorship from generous uh, senior officers and so on. And as I went through the ranks in the military, um, it started to become clear to me that this was, the, I, the, the aspect of people management seemed very touchy-feely. There was no, there was no clear research to, to guide people. And even if there were, it wasn't front and center as in the moment as I was uh, managing the teams. So when, when I moved to Gallup, one of the things that, that made me want to move was uh, I was reading this book called First Break All the Rules. And it, at that time, it struck me that this was a, a playbook for management. And why hadn't anybody introduced this to me before? Because I could just follow these simple steps and then be able to take action with my teams. And, and it was very intuitive and, and uh, at the same time, evidence-based to me. So going through Gallup, uh, we, we used that methodology with our clients and it worked. Uh, but there were a lot of constraints around delivering this as a consulting service because it, just because of the nature of consulting, it's a, it's a trading hours for time kind of, uh, or trading time for money kind of business. So what ends up happening is you can only afford to provide this kind of reports for the most senior leaders in a company who actually might need this the least. Uh, it is actually the, the first-time managers, the most junior guys who actually need the most guidance. And, and so... My, my co-founder and I got to thinking, uh, so we were both serving on the regional leadership team uh, at Gallup. We got to thinking, like, how do we make this more scalable? How do we make this more cost-effective uh, and create a greater impact in the companies that we're working with? And it soon became clear to us that we, we had to break away from uh, the, the traditional consulting model towards adopting technology. And it, since uh, we tried internally to 
to to figure out how we can do that. But it, it, there's a lot of uh, I, I guess it's a complete business model change. So there was a lot of inertia, and uh, after a while, we decided okay, should put our money where our mouth is, uh, and jump out and and do this ourselves. I see. Then can you tell us more about what Engage Rocker is all about? You mentioned a bit of the background before that. I can gather from the website that you have um, design surveys to find out how employees feel about their work. Obviously, try to keep them happy and boost retention rate. Is that correct? Obviously, uh, there probably a lot more than what than that. Um, yeah. So as a as a startup, you you quickly realize that the. Your vision keeps expanding as your company expands. Uh, I think we started out Engage Rocket with a very simple premise of how do we reduce the latency of reporting from surveys and increase the breadth of coverage of uh, the reporting within an organization. Um, <clears throat> and so it was it was uh, it was that simple idea that got us started. But it quickly, as we started deploying it within companies, we quickly realized that we could deploy this technology in a lot of different ways and uh, leverage a lot of other technologies that existed in uh, the analysis space to be able to create more insightful reports, to be able to capture moments that matter for employees across their entire life cycle from hire to retire uh, and feed this back in a sensitive, confidential way to leaders, to managers, to HR, so that they can uh, be nudged with data to be able to manage their people better, to improve both their motivation and their productivity at work. And what we realized was that once we put these kinds of tools into the hands of leaders, managers, and HR, um, it was a change in business process entirely that needed to happen to enable uh, the, the full gains from this to be reaped. And so Engage Rocket is now on a mission to be able to help HR demonstrate greater value to the business uh, through, a, through tools like ours, um, as well as to help business leaders to manage their teams better, to improve their overall employee experience. People stay longer, uh, happier to work, to work harder, and, and uh, obviously generate more returns for the company. I was wondering what I can maybe... Um gives us some concrete examples of what, what exactly some of the questions that you ask employees. Is there one or two very illuminating questions that you ask them, you probably get a good read on the mood of the employees? So, so some of them might be mood. Some of them are, are actual things that happen. So a, a recent example was company, uh, a listed company that was looking at improving the quality of manager one-on-ones within the organization. So uh, what we realized was that the the idea of a one-on-one that a manager has with their staff, uh, while it is very prevalent in the technology sector, once you get outside technology, it is it is not very clear what these one-on-ones are for, what you should talk about, how often they should be held, uh, and what are the impact uh, that you would expect from it. So uh, this company started implementing uh, manager one-on-ones and, and quickly realized that the managers uh, were very poorly equipped to be able to handle these one-on-ones. A lot of them mistook them for performance appraisals or opportunities to highlight shortcomings of their employees rather than uh, the ideal of having this as the time that's given to the staff, uh, management time given to the staff to raise issues that may not uh, surface easily or is awkward to surface easily in, in uh, during day-to-day operations. So what they did find was that uh, they, we did an analysis with them to show 
within this company, what was the quality and the frequency of the one-on-ones? And so we, we looked at, we could see a very clear trend of an increase in levels of the individual and team engagement, the more frequent the one-on-ones became. So some were doing it once every six months, once every three months, once every one month, uh, and then uh, the uh, once every two weeks and once every week. And we found that the optimal for this company was actually once every two weeks, where you get a steady increase in uh, level of engagement as you get towards that kind of frequency, as well as a decrease in disengagement and unhappiness uh, as the managers and their teams uh, approach that level of frequency. And also, we looked at the quality of those one-on-ones. Uh, to what extent did people feel that their careers uh, were, were being developed? To what extent did they feel that their bosses were showing them care and empathy? So we found that these also increased uh, as the number of one-on-ones increased. And so with this data, it became much easier to implement a, a more robust one-on-one infrastructure within this company, which otherwise would be relatively uh, traditional. Um, talking about your clients, obviously very diverse. You know, they cut across countries, they cut across industries. Do you see different degrees of openness when it comes to you know engaging you guys to help them understand their employees better? A- absolutely. So this is something that we realized about two years into our journey, where we looked at our customer base and realized that about 76% of them were running surveys for the first time using Engage Rocket. Uh, so this presented an opportunity because we, this this is a, a good differentiating factor for us and it's a good opportunity for us to add value uh, to companies who have, may not have seen value from this space in the past. What we have realized is that there, there's almost like a readiness curve uh, for companies uh, when, when it comes to running any kind of uh, people analytics, as we call it, uh, programs within their organization. So some might be just dipping their toes in the water, uh, running a survey for the first time, trying to analyze the results and correlate those results uh, to objective reality on the ground. Others may be a little bit more advanced already. Uh, They have a a basic infrastructure of a few different types of surveys that are running out, maybe some 360 feedback that are done for the high potentials and so on. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you find companies that have uh, almost fully deployed a continuous listening infrastructure already where they are able to collect signals from the workplace and respond to them in near real time. So we realized that our job then becomes helping companies to build capability towards a a more uh, robust continuous listening infrastructure that allows them to be a lot more responsive uh, to staff as well as to engage fully their creativity and uh, innovation from their teams that are under them. Chita, I wanted to shift gear a little bit to talk about pandemic. Uh, it's aftermath. Uh, how has COVID last year and even now changed human resources as a field? You think uh, we hear there's a lot more focus on, say, employee well-being because people working from home uh, might experience a lot more stress than before. How, how do you think companies are trying to balance it all in terms of trying to get work done, but also looking after the employees, especially with the challenges posed by the pandemic? It's a great question, William. And in fact, this was the reason why a week into the circuit breaker, we, we very rapidly partnered together with the two uh, HR associations, in uh, industry associations in Singapore to run a national campaign uh, to be able to underst- help leaders in, in businesses, in Singapore businesses, understand how to manage this trade-off and we collected more than 20,000 responses across about 150 plus companies across all industries 
to be able to really surface some of these uh, some of these trade-offs. So one of the things that that emerged almost immediately was that HR was suddenly placed into the spotlight uh, in the global financial crisis. Uh, the CFO's office and and uh, the auditors were were placed into the the spotlight. Uh, very similarly, because of the pandemic, suddenly HR uh, has been thrust after decades of uh, campaigning to to have a seat at the at the boardroom. All of a sudden, they were given that seat and with the light shining right on them. And with that amount of attention, they need like HR as a as a as a function needed to have something to say, and and and. Suddenly, the need to be able to express ideas um, with uh, data, with with evidence that correlates well with uh, what the business cares about, uh, became a lot more important in driving uh, the influence of HR within each organization. And to the extent that the HR professionals within organizations rose to the challenge, uh, they are they have then been given a more permanent seat at the table, um, and. Yeah, I, I think the, the this came with a lot of things, right? I mean, to balance costs, for example, uh, we started seeing companies talking about rationalizing their uh, their their office footprint. Uh, whether it still made sense to uh, to to have so many people in the office, and and I mean, right now we're going through something similar, like return to work kind of phase as well, but. At the same time, it, it has also become clear from some of the data that we are seeing that more than 80% of people actually are quite happy uh, to, to work an optimal amount from home, say every two to three days a week, which is what's becoming uh, a little bit more of the, the new normal um, and so we're settling into something like that. So, so that allows uh, HR to, to have an influence in how offices are redesigned, how office footprint is uh, is 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 rationalized and also even when it comes to talent sourcing uh, does it make sense continually to to source for talent in the most expensive markets uh, it may not necessarily be the case anymore if we're going to be working from home uh, and have built organizational muscle to be able to adapt to hybrid and remote work then perhaps some cost savings and actually the reality is that sometimes even talent upgrades can be done with a global search for talent uh, and uh, in less uh, expensive uh, localities. So, so this, these are some of the things that uh, HR has been able to bring to the table in order to rationalize um, costs during a time where many businesses are seeing their bottom lines uh, squeezed. Yeah, something that you mentioned uh, in passing this move from, you know, basically the challenge between balancing work from home and now a shift back to office, the, the, the statistic that you mentioned, 80% would really, um, you know, um, be, be encouraged by some kind of flexibility to, to the three days uh, a week at home. But we, we, have, we have seen, however, some authorities, you know, moving towards getting people, uh, more and more people back to office. Uh, do you have any statistics to share about the latest finding? Are people happy with that move in terms of employee satisfaction? Are they looking forward to going back to office? Or do they you know, still want to retain um, quite a you know, significant degree of flexibility? Now, a vast majority still continue to want to retain uh, some flexibility. Um, the, the, the statistic of 80% has been very stable uh, through uh, the circuit breaker, through phase one of reopening phase two, and then even now, uh, we're start, we we're see, we don't see any change in that and we're, we're looking at month-on-month -month data 
uh, the, the, the workforce preferences haven't changed much at all. Uh, and when we compare that against the productivity of the workforce, uh, we also have month-on-month -month data on that. And what we have seen, for example, um, I can pull up some, some numbers here for you. Basically, at the start of the circuit breaker, there, there were almost a million uh, workers in Singapore who literally had to transition to working from home overnight. And in that environment, we found that almost half or 43% of them said that it takes them more time to achieve the same productivity as compared to working in the office. Uh, whereas those that said that they became more productive was, was only 15%. And over time, what we've seen is a, a balancing of this. So those who are saying that they are becoming more productive, it's actually approaching about a third. And those who are saying that they're less productive is actually going down to a quarter. So uh, we're actually seeing that that uh, for at least knowledge workers in mm. particular, the working from home is not any uh, worse off for their productivity, as, especially if it's uh, half or, or around 40% uh, of the time. So, so what that means for businesses is that uh, if, if you do have a significant portion of your workforce that are knowledge workers, uh, this hybrid work arrangement is something that really should be considered uh, as a as a means of working and a way of working moving forward. Interesting. And just one question uh, for you, Chitong, in the interest of time. Um, zooming in on your company, Engage Rocket, how do you uh, keep your employees happy? I mean, being based in Singapore, uh, sometimes we hear that youngsters, um, you know, might be compelled by societal forces, if you will, to opt for safer, more traditional jobs. Uh, what is it that you and the team uh, have done that boosted your appeal, ultimately persuaded them to join uh, your startup? So it's a good question. I, I think it gets easier as uh, the startup grows. Um, obviously, when you're less than uh, five people, it's very difficult to attract talent. Uh, but I, I think as, as the journey goes on, there's a lot of momentum that the company has, which people feel that they want to be part of, which is very exciting for uh, careers. It is a once-in-a-lifetime chance for, for many to join a growing startup that can take uh, take, take it from maybe like a seven-digit valuation to a nine-digit valuation. Um, and, and that becomes etched on your CV and, and you would never have to worry about finding a job again in the future, right? Um, so that's, that's, I mean, that's the very financial part of it. But, but the reality is that what attracts people to the company and what, uh, what causes them to stay is the kind of culture that we build. And in a startup, uh, I think we have the ability to have uh, a lot more open of a culture and, and transparent culture because we are a relatively small team. So uh, transparency, the whole company knows all of the finances and everything in the company. There's, no, there's, there's nothing to hide. We have monthly town halls where we share uh, all of this very openly. Uh, we, we, we drink our own champagne. Uh, we do run uh, our own analytics on ourselves. Uh, and share that quite openly with the company as well um, to, to build trust and build, uh, build a culture. Um, we, we, as leaders, we do have to uphold these values quite, uh, quite strongly. So when uh, we do find uh, people who are not a fit, uh, or I mean, even if they're very individually talented, um, normally it's uh, something that we do not tolerate. Uh, we also don't tolerate politics uh, within the company. So we have a zero tolerance uh, a policy towards that. But at the same time, we, 
we we have a team that spans five countries right now and uh we encourage sharing uh we know that everybody brings our full self to work and and so we we have these weekly what we call lightning talks where people talk about anything under the sun it could be a uh a hobby like someone playing like teaching others how to play a song on a guitar or uh, talking about a photography trip that they've uh, they've made around singapore or, or in in uh, the country that they're in or whatever it is right to just to share more about each other and also uh, we promote cross-functional uh, team bonding using this uh, bot that operates on slack it's called donut which uh, randomly pairs uh, people up every two weeks to have coffee with each other uh, virtually and during that half an hour or so uh, we talk about anything under the sun except work <laughs> and 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 that's really been quite helpful because uh, especially because we're all remote um, mm -hmm. at least for most of us it's it's really helpful to get to know uh, the, our colleagues a lot better and we we get about 70 to 80 percent uh, completion rate of these uh, of these like donut virtual coffee meetings so so that that's been another thing that's been helping us maybe a good idea to bring up to my bosses very soon uh, donut sessions maybe with real donuts as well thank you chitong for your time appreciate that a lot and that was chitong leong of engage rocket he just shared with us his journey from being an officer in the republic of singapore navy to now helping companies across the region listen and engage their employees better that's especially important as we navigate the human resource challenges brought by the pandemic that concludes the eighth episode of our Back to the Future podcast series. Please join us next week as we continue our focus on Singapore startups. We'll be speaking to Liu Fengyuan, the founder and CEO of Basis AI. He's a former president scholar and Singapore's chief data scientist. He'll be sharing with us how his firm is helping companies in Singapore and the broader region to not only talk about AI, but to apply AI in their day-to-day operations. Thank you. This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.